The Guardian. This week on The Guardian Audio Edition. Mali, high stakes in Hollande's war. Johnny Margot solo. And our audiobook review looks at Christopher Priest's The Islanders and Daniel Defoe's classic Robinson Crusoe. To subscribe for free, go to audible.co.uk forward slash guardian or find us on SoundCloud and iTunes. The Guardian Audio Edition, a new way to get the whole picture. Hello and welcome to The Guardian Film Show, where this week's crop of movies have nothing to lose but their chains. Up ahead we shall meet convicts, slaves and paralysed romantics on a gurney. These movies are in search of freedom, revenge and sex. And they are all about to be released. Casting off the shackles on this week's show. Michael Winterbottom paints a portrait of prison life in the British drama Every Day. John Hawkes is on a mission to lose his virginity in the sessions. And a Ukrainian hoofer hits the comeback trail on the documentary Ballroom Dancer. First up, it's Django Unchained, Quentin Tarantino's rattling joyride through Old Dixie, a film that audaciously and controversially spins the topic of American slavery into a big brash spaghetti western. The Guardian's Andrew Pulver went down to meet Samuel L. Jackson, who co-stars as Stephen, the malevolent houseboy, to Leonardo DiCaprio's racist little prince. Why is you lying to me? Then why is you crying? You scaring me. Why is I'm scaring you? Because you scared. He's a product of his environment. He's there. Um, slavery, when, we, when the film starts, slavery's been going on for about 150 years. So his great-grandfather, grandfather, father, all took care of the candy men. That was their job. They'd been in the house taking care of the candy men all their lives. And Stephen inherited that job, basically raised Calvin Candy, took care of him since he was a child. Stephen is just uh, maintaining the status quo. I'm looking for the Brittle Brothers. I know what they look like, all right. They sold my wife, but I don't know to who. You helped me do that. I'll give you your freedom and take you to rescue your wife. Slaves outnumbered slave owners, sometimes 10, 20 to one. Uh, and the only way to keep them, keep them that way was to keep them scared. So you did very horrific things to them to make sure that they didn't run off or they didn't rebel or that they stayed in line. And I think some of the stuff that's in this film is accurate and nowhere near as bad as the things they really did to make sure that that uh, institution was perpetuated. I mean, do you have any truck with people's sensitivities about it? No. <laughs> Joining me now is The Guardian's Peter Bradshaw and Henry Barnes. Now, Django is the tale of a black bounty hunter who kills white folk and gets paid for it. Peter, can you see why some people might object to the film? I think what makes people nervous is basically any contemporary Hollywood movie tackling the subject of slavery at all. Contemporary Hollywood is so reticent on this subject that it amounts, I think, almost to a conspiracy of silence. They're okay with films about slavery in the context of abolition, mm. but the regular day-to-day concept of unabolished slavery, that's something you don't go anywhere near. Uh, And I can only think of a couple of films recently that have had uh, the balls to go anywhere near it. One is Lars von Trier's, his film Mandalay, and rather brilliantly, this one, Tarantino, who with incredible uh, verve and chutzpah has just tackled it 
head on with, uh, in a way that all the squeamish and fastidious liberals would never dare to do. It's not like obviously a historically accurate portrait no, of slavery. No, though, is it's it? not. Not at all. Although I think that Tarantino himself is quite quick to tell you that there's nothing actually factually inaccurate in, in any of the uh, incidental detail. But it's the fact that he's done it at all. He appears to be not a sh uh, shrouding the subject with a kind of hush of, uh, of contriteness, contrition and seriousness. Uh, and the fact that furthermore, he tackles the Uncle Tom figure. And that is almost mind blowing. It's gasp inducing that he's done so with such uh, aggressive confidence. I think only he and Samuel L. Jackson could have possibly got away with it. Henry, we know Tarantino is one of the key chroniclers of modern day American popular culture. Did you feel that he was a bit of a fish out of water in 1850s Mississippi here? Um, no, absolutely not. I think he, he fits comfortably into, into what he's doing. But that, in a way, is part of Tarantino's genius, I think, that he manages to pick and choose whatever he wants to show and will make it his world. So even if we're in you know, a kind of revenge fantasy set where somebody's slaughtering someone with a samurai sword, such as Kill Bill, it's mm. still noticeably Tarantino. And he steals a lot of ideas from other directors and makes them his own. And that's all he's ever done to mm. better or worse effect, I think. I think whether you're shocked by this film depends on whether you can really get with Django himself in that we are following him along as an individual on his own revenge fantasy. And he isn't political and he isn't really engaged in the slave's cause at all. There's no point where he is actually sympathetic to any of his fellow slaves. He just wants to get his wife back and take her out of harm's way. I think it's part of his genius is the sheer incorrectness of this film, that he's just blasted through that kind of paper screen of, of squeamishness to make this movie. It's, there's, there's such brilliance in it. I would say on a personal note, I think he has been a fish out of water. I thought he was a fish out of water in the, in the Second World War mm. with Inglorious Bastard, which I thought just didn't work. I thought it had some brilliant casting choices. And one of his great uh, discoveries is, of course, Christoph Waltz, who is used, I think, to much better effect here as a kind of a good guy. He has the same kind of steeliness and faultless English uh, and uh, screen presence. But I think he's much better as a kind of a good guy here than he ever was any glorious bastards. He's, he's such a find. He's such a brilliant find. It's so funny to see him become a kind of repertory player for Tarantino. Why then did Inglorious Bastards not work for you and yet this did? I think it, it's not so much the offence. I think it's the fact of boredom. I thought the story of Inglorious Bastards was boring. I wanted the Inglorious Bastards, the, the troop of actors, to bond together. I wanted to know all about them and I wanted them to go on a journey and to enact a revenge together. But Tarantino bafflingly didn't seem interested in that. It all just seemed to flunk out. Nothing, nothing really happened. Whereas there is a journey here. Again, quite a long journey, and this is quite a long film. But for good or ill, this is a real character arc and a story arc happening. And as Henry says, you can get with Django in a way that I never got with the, the bastards. I also think the, the characters, and, and, and particularly the actors' performances in this, carry the weight of the pastiche oh, yeah. far better than yeah. Inglourious Bastards. Oh, yeah. yeah, we've spoken about Christoph Waltz and Samuel L. Jackson, but there's a truly terrific performance from Leonardo DiCaprio. He's stunning well, as Calvin Candy, yeah. Absolutely. the yeah. plantation brilliant. owner. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I love his, his smile, that strange kind of cat that caught the cream smile. Because very often in movies, some of Chris, Christopher Nolan's movies, he's very stern and unsmiling and deadpan. Whereas here, when his face lights up in that demonic smile, he's absolutely brilliant. And his performance is just superb. As I say, if it was in a very serious Spielberg-y film, he would be honoured from in every award ceremony. But he and Samuel L. Jackson, again, what a performance. It's brilliant. You really free? Yes. You mean you want to dress like that? Hey! 
kind of dentist are you? Uh, touch your guns, you die. Yes! The terrific Django Unchained there. Let's now hop from one tale of imprisonment to another. It's the prison drama Every Day, shot by Michael Winterbottom for Channel 4 TV, but now getting a well-deserved furlough to the cinemas of Britain. Any news? Stephanie's got a boyfriend. You're joking. Deliberately episodic, blooming by degrees, every day charts a five-year vigil of prison visits and marking time. John Sim plays Ian, sent down for an unspecified crime. Shirley Henderson co-stars as Karen, raising the kids back home in Norfolk. Whoa! I don't want to hear this. <laughs> no, don't tell me this. Henry, it's a rare example of the slow cinema movement, this film, in that it was shot over five years, and you can visibly see the children ageing before our eyes. Did that give it a kind of authenticity? Yeah, I think it did, and I think, I think that's the delight of the film, in a way. In, in the same way that Tarantino turns everything up to 11, this really just puts it on a slow simmer, and there, it's a gradual development of a very slow story over time. And so you basically see this family going about their day-to-day -day routine with an absent father in prison, and you see him visiting them in prison, uh, them visiting him in prison, and seeing the kind of joy that they get from those sporadic visits. And it's, to me, it was really interesting in that way, in that you only ever see them when they're almost manically happy, because when they're visiting dad, all of these emotions that they've been storing up during the normal day-to-day -day life of going to school, etc., just pour out. And so we're really seeing the edited highlights of his time in prison. We're not seeing the day-to-day -day boredom of it, which seems to go against the title, but I think that was the kind of magic of it as well. I love this a lot. I thought it was, it was moving and, and beautifully played. But the, the one thing that I had with it was like, why not then make a documentary? If what you're going for is slice of life following a family through five years where the father's in prison, why not actually just find a real family and shoot a documentary? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think perhaps you wouldn't have had the same control. I think what he wanted to do was to make a fiction feature which looked and felt and smelt real. And I think that's what he did. I think it's an excellent movie. Uh, I, I realise how many very cliched prison visit scenes I've seen in movies. I mean, the prison visit is something we think we know, mm. you know, go between glass and not knowing you're supposed to pick up the, the phone. air of the, violence. Yeah, the violence. Says, Shush, keep your voice down. And it's so cliched. And yet what this film does very calmly and very intelligently is say, look, here's the real story, the, the build up to the prison visit and the, and the build down, the outro of having to go back out and be frisked and patted down and putting the bib on. That they're sort incredibly of polite, bib. aren't they? Yeah. Please, thank you. Do turn but also with the air of, you know, the resentment in the faces mm. of all those men. I thought it was uh, terrifically good. I thought it was terrific to see John Sim, terrific actor. I don't see enough of him. And Shirley Henderson, uh, an actor who I've seen on the screen 10 years, longer than 10 years. Uh, she doesn't even seem any, she doesn't seem to look any different to me. Uh, great to see her back. Um, I, this is great stuff. I felt like a, like a kind of classic Ken Loach film or a, a Robert Guédigan film. Mm. Great stuff, really great stuff. <laughs> Can you finish your visits, please? Thank you. Finish your visits, thanks. You're Mr. Pickle. Mr. Tickle. Okay. Come here. Give us a hug. Oh. Look after your mum, yeah? Okay, you be a good boy. You be a good boy as well. Okay? Oh. That's a lovely hug.
Michael Winterbottom's Every Day. Now, it transpires that Django Unchained is not the only Oscar contender doing the rounds this week. Helen Hunt has also been nominated for her turn in The Sessions, the true life tale of a polio survivor in search of sex and possibly love. Catherine Shord sat down with Hunt and her co-stars John Hawkes and William H. Macy. This therapist suggested I could work with a sex surrogate who would be sensitive to my unusual needs. In my heart, I feel like he'll give you a free pass on this one. Go for it. Hi, Mark O'Brien. Your money's on the desk over there. Yes, it is. That was the wrong way to start off. It really was. Shall we start again? Do you think society today places too much emphasis on sex, or do you think it, it denies it too much? I think it's not about how much. I think it's just all skewered and weird and warped, you know? There's almost one thing that seeing this movie just as an audience member made me feel is that almost everything else I see about sex is really bizarre. I think the United States has got it pretty well bollocked up. And um, I think uh, uh, one of the, th I think our, our films have a lot to do with our views towards sexuality. And I think we're ill served by the ratings board who uh, need to get into therapy in my opinion, because we have all this, we're so accepting of violence, ugly, ugly, ugly violence and we let our children watch it and I don't I don't let my kids watch it and yet we are allergic to sex I've done those scenes where the light is low and the camera just sees one little bit and then there's the close-up of the hand or the underwear hitting them it's all a lot when you look at this you're like that's all pretty strange it's misplaced in um, some sort of ideal of beauty uh, rather than that it's a human thing that isn't dirty and disgusting and it's how we all came to be. So, I mean, yeah. must be something good about it or we wouldn't be here. So come on, tell me. What kind of therapist is she? Really? I told you the first time, she's a sex therapist. Today they're working on simultaneous orgasm. What's that? Peter, it's certainly a very brave and committed performance from Hunt here. Yes, it is. I think it's a, a brave and committed performance from them both. I think there has been an interesting tonal decision being made by the director, Ben Lewin, to balance out the possible edginess and the possible difficulty of the subject matter with a very sunny and gentle and feel-good approach. There's a sort of sunny delight feel to the film, which is, which is interesting. Uh, I like the film. I'm not sure I would go much further than that. There's a sort of too-good-to-be-true feel to both of the characters, to be honest with you. But I think it's interesting when most films are so squeamish about sex and the sex act, despite everything being sexy, it takes a film about disability to talk about the actual sex act itself. And this film is reasonably candid about it, I, and I admired it. The other slight coyness about the film that struck me, Henry, is that Helen Hunt is full frontal naked, but, but John Hawkes isn't. Yeah, was that, uh, that, was that an issue? <laughs> I think it was definitely thing. an issue. I mean, there's this uh, it's been, the point that's been made online already, but there's this uh, amazing scene where they're about to have sex and she tilts a mirror up to him to show him what his naked body looks like because of his disability, he hasn't been able to look at his body properly. And he sees everything, but what we get as a viewer is literally a cut-off yeah. down at the groin, at, completely at the right angle to presumably get past the censorship board. But it's, it's similar to... In a way, similar to a film like Magic Mike, which is about male strippers, and, yeah. and yet you don't see the money shot, as yeah. it were, um, which is, is a little cowardly. You know, if you're going to go and do a film like this, 
um, then do it full frontal, do it all the way. I mean, I think all those decisions, I understand why they've been made. Uh, I think we're all of us worldly enough about the cinema to know why they've done all those things. Uh, so I kind of feel like forgiving them. I sort of say, well, you know, they couldn't show the, the, the man's penis because it's difficult selling this movie through with, with a mm. shot like that. And I agree with Henry. It's annoying. It's annoying. I don't find it a fundamentally pusillanimous thing to do. I think it's a, a or even cynical, I think it's just a realistic thing to, for them to do. But I, I totally get what Henry's saying. It is annoying. What about the last issue, the fact that you've got an able-bodied actor playing Mark O'Brien? I mean, some would argue that that's as offensive as having somebody in blackface. Uh, yeah, I guess, I mean, I, again, I see that. Uh, it, was the, it was the comment made about Daniel Day-Lewis back in the day with my left foot. Um, I think sometimes you've just got to go with the principle that actors are pretending. All actors are making it up. They're not really the King of Scotland or anything like that. They're not really Django. They're nothing. They're not really doing it. And I think there's that consideration too. So I'm going to ask you some basic questions, okay? Sure. Explain to me so that I really understand exactly what the iron lung is for. That keeps me breathing. I could spend a few hours outside of it with my portable respirator, depending on how I feel, but I work and sleep in the iron lung. And how do you feel right now? Out of my league. <laughs> John Hawkes and Helen Hunt in the sessions. And finally, after all these tales of confinement and escape, it's high time we dimmed the lights, faced the music and possibly danced. Straight in as soon as possible. Come back to what you were when everyone was talking positive about you. I don't have any doubts that you can actually go back in the first place. If you don't Once know. long ago, Slavic Kriklevi was the world amateur Latin dance champion of the world. Now he's back on the comeback trail with a tempestuous new partner and a head full of dreams. He's got the moves, he's got the motion. Now all he needs to do is convince the judges at the prestigious Blackpool Dance Festival. Henry, the tale of Slavic Kriklevi, whose specialty, we're told, is a, a fusion of Latin dance and martial arts, which I think in our own way, we, we kind of try and do on this show as well, <laughs> in our own way. You can't see my legs, but I'm yeah. doing the martial arts. His <laughs> <laughs> travails, thing. for me, it's Speak Tapuera and the Charleston, very much so. <laughs> I don't know, this is, this is this week's glossy doc. Like last week, we had uh, you guys talking about Jiro Dreams of Sushi. And again, this is a, a beautifully made, lovingly shot, music slavered documentary about a subject matter that uh, I guess a small proportion of people are going to be fascinated by, which is you know the, the amazing sight of these people being incredibly professional at what they do, ballroom dancing. At the same time, there's uh, such a staged element to a lot of what's going on here that you feel like it's almost like a posh reality TV show yeah. like The Hills. It is very staged and a bit leery sometimes. You just thought they are really taking the mickey with some of these scenes. But there is a kind of growing fascination with it because of him. He's so angry and his very strenuous dancing style starts to look like an expression of, of anger and futility after a while. And I found it gradually. The more I watched, the more it grew on me. And I thought, I think I'm getting this now. I think his very detailed, these fishtails and flourishes, they don't look like exuberance. They look more and more like a kind of desperation. Mm. And I thought there was a real fascination in it. There's a strange sort of juxtaposition of the high life of kind of yachting holidays with, yeah. with Blackpool Ballroom, yeah, where no. they have the competition. Yes, yeah, so no, it's sort of Paris, Berlin, 
Bournemouth or anything like that. But they, they don't register anything that this is a little bit, you know, this is slightly ridiculous. Other than, wow, this extraordinary international lifestyle, presumably kept afloat by a, a raft of sponsorship that we don't really hear anything about or know anything about then the backstage at the sort of ballroom and then they come on and it comes off and he's very angry but can't express it and he's sort of angry with her and she's angry with him uh, and for various reasons they can't say anything out loud and once this sort of dawned on me once the subtext of this movie and it's very kind of dark movie mm. dawned on me I, I i liked it but undoubtedly it is very influenced by reality TV. I think it couldn't have been made without the upsurge in, in, uh, in popularity for ballroom because of reality TV. She find excuses and she start to fight with me back. If you want a little mouse, it's okay. You can get it no, no, somewhere. No. Respect that, sorry. Basically, Slava was letting me know that he's not sure that he wants to continue and stuff like this. So, you know, this is a bit, a bit strange for me. the agony and the ecstasy of ballroom dancer. And that's it from us. We're totally exhausted and we've just been sitting here. My thanks as ever to Peter Bradshaw and Henry Barnes. See you next week when the dance begins anew. This week on the Guardian Audio Edition. Mali, high stakes in Hollande's war. Johnny Margot solo. And our audiobook review looks at Christopher Priest's The Islanders and Daniel Defoe's classic Robinson Crusoe. To subscribe for free, go to audible.co.uk forward slash guardian or find us on SoundCloud and iTunes. The Guardian Audio Edition, a new way to get the whole picture. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.